We don't need no education. That'll be stuck in your head all day now. Congratulations. What's up kids, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I don't know if you can see in the video, there's a pile of paints down the side. I've been painting today and that's what I've been doing. And painting is always, as we've established on the streams, a, a double-edged sword for me because it, it it's deep within the, the recess of my mind that I probably shouldn't be painting, but at the same time I like to paint, so there's a catharsis in it, so I still paint and still you know try to involve my artistic practice because painting is one of the classics, right? It is. Painting is its one of those classic mediums. It's one of those things which is seen as fine art. It is seen as a legitimate format for art. Um, if you are to gatekeep the hell out of a, a, a pra practice, which is basically about concept rather than about medium. But, uh, you know, it's seen as one of the things. It's one of the things the masters did, if you think about the masters and, and what they were all involved in and what they were about. There was a recent video on my Facebook feed which appeared about restoration um, and they were trying to restore an old painting and this painting is hard to restore because the artist who created it, I can't remember his name, it's going to drift off in my brain, but the artist who created it wanted to try and imitate the old masters but didn't know their techniques because they'd all died. You know, He was just a student of art within the classical period. So kept trying different things to make the paints work in the way to get the renaissance glow sort of thing which by the way if you didn't know renaissance painters used eggs in their paint quite a lot it was, it was a whole thing egg whites in paint mixed in that's what they used as a medium anyway what i was saying um so they tried to imitate but what it means is when rest restoration artists or curators or whatever they're called um come along and they try to preserve the painting part of the pre preservation process is to remove the varnish on the painting and then re-varnish it so it protects all the colors but what they find is going in and doing that what the artist was actually mixing with their paint was types of resin and the th same things which destroy varnish, destroy resin, so they have to be very careful not to accidentally destroy a whole part of the painting. That's a whole thing. That's a thing which it, 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 it's there, and that's artistic practice, that's, which I find incredibly interesting because I'm like, oh, that guy wasn't thinking about the longevity of their work. They were thinking, I'm going to make this, it's going to last 20, 30 years, it's going to go in someone's gallery, you know, the blood money, which is gallery and classical painting and, and all the things which go alongside of that. Ever walk around the National Museum, just consider that those artists were underpaid and probably on the breadline and uh, were underpaid by people who were oligarchs to large amounts of people uh, and, you know, destroy the monarchy, etc., etc. Anyway, um, what was I saying? I'd gone completely off point right from the get-go. But, yeah, that artist wasn't thinking about the longevity of their work. They were just thinking about what they could get in the meantime and what they were painting. And for the most part, they were probably just painting portraits. So they were just recreating things people asked them to create and commission. I had this thought the other day when I was painting. So the painting I've been working on is a double-sided painting um, because I want to explore the idea of sculpture within painting. So I, I created a double-sided painting which requires to stand up to be seen and is also kind of 3d but i was thinking of it from the point of view of well I, this is probably going to get destroyed because it's not going to go in a gallery for preservation so it's probably going to get destroyed 
I don't really need to worry about too much about varnishing it. I did varnish it though, just because it makes the colours pop a little bit. I've we've been five minutes, five minutes in, and this you sat looking at the title of the podcast and thinking, how the hell does he get from this to that? I haven't decided on the title yet, but maybe we don't need no education, just because it'll piss off people who uh, are really anal about grammar. And they're my favourite people to piss off. They just are. Honestly. If you see me and you see me spelling something really wrong or putting a sentence together really wrong, just know I'm doing it to annoy you. I can speak properly. I choose not to. Because it irritates you. Anywho, back onto the point. Jumping back through. So recently, uh, very recently, in fact, as of this weekend, if you're in the timeline that I'm in, and you guys aren't, you're, you're months away, um... I went for a drink and some food with a friend of mine who lives in my hometown and is a fantastic artist and has been on the podcast with Pop-Up Scunthorpe. If you don't know, I'm originally from Scunthorpe, uh, called Cat. And Cat Spence is a fantastic artist and poet and is heavily involved in the art scene in Scunthorpe. But what it does is when you go back to your hometown, you get nostalgic. Not nostalgic in necessarily a good way all the time, you know, but it triggers all these memories and you remember these things about these places that you've been. For instance, I went to a restaurant which I haven't been to since I was, you know, maybe 12, 12, 13 years old. Um, And I went to this restaurant and it, it, it hasn't changed. It's just not changed. It was still nice. It was very good food. Um, but it, it hasn't changed. And then I went to a pub, which had changed dramatically from what I remember, because it used to be a pub, and now it's like a cocktail bar. And it's it's all right, you know? It wasn't terrible, which is kind of shocking. But, but my memories of it are from when it was an absolute dive of a pub, and I was 17, getting served, because I look old. Um, that's the one thing which masks have taken away from me. So masks in stores... I'm just going to diverge. So masks in stores... I, I still wear a mask when I'm in a store or supermarket if it's busy. If the staffs are wearing masks, that's how I roll. Probably still will be, even in the time frame you guys are in. Um, but I, I do that, and I... It meant I get ID'd, and I haven't been ID'd in a very long time, but in the last two years, I've been ID'd quite a lot, because apparently I have quite young-looking eyes. Once you cover up this part of my face, the, 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 the rest of it just apparently looks quite young. I don't see it. I still think I look about 40 we've digressed again anyway back to the point so you got, I was in my hometown and I was, I was um, having to think about the old, the old times you know, the times when I was young and and it didn't creak when I stood up um, and when you know I didn't have to get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night I'm not that old I'm describing myself like I'm a 60 year old man I'm not I don't think I'm a 60 year old man but I was thinking about those times and thinking about what I took away from my hometown and what I took away from the things and the times which I was there. So the main thing to think of is that when you're from a small town and when you're there, most of your time in that town will be spent in education if you move out of that town. Most people from small towns throughout history move away, right? That's just a thing. They move away and they go to other cities and they go to other small towns. They go where the jobs are. They go where their interests take them. And that is the kind of the path of small town people. So when you leave, you leave when you're about 18 or you're, about, you're in your 20s, when opportunities arise and you can actually go do things. Most people don't leave when they're young. That's just the reality. And if you get to an older age, you probably won't leave. That's, again, just a reality of small towns in the UK. 
and I think probably within a lot of, a lot of countries, just because you, you, once you once you're settled, you're settled, and once your you know ambition kicks in, you're probably going to go somewhere. But most of that time was in education. So when I look back, all of my memories and my thoughts are intermittently, intermittently, intermittently linked, inexorably linked. That wasn't even a more difficult word to say, and yeah, I rolled through that word. They're all linked. So when I think about my hometown, I think about school. I think about school. I think about college. I think about you know the places which I were, was was the places that I was and <laughs> the peoples that I was and the peoples that I hung out with and the things which I experienced. And a lot of that thought for me personally is associated with a lot of negativity and like an extreme amount of negativity to the point where I try not to think about it. I don't think about my days in school. I don't think about my days in college because I was a very different person to who I am today. I acted very different to who I am today. There was obviously little nuggets of me being who I am. Why is my voice just cracking up today? Excuse me. But, the, you know, I was a very different person. I hung around with very different people. I acted quite different to what I did. And I was still figuring out the world as I went along. And a lot of that meant pushing against the barriers of what everyone else was as the world went along. And one of those things which I have a very negative view of is education. Which is not to say that I have a problem with education. So I would like to take a moment to, you know, discuss that as you go. So... I'm not a person who looks at the education system in the world and thinks school is pointless. I'm not. Because I think school, especially young school, where you're talking, you know, 0 to 16, 18, serves a very clear purpose in the sense of it is meant to be, and this is the, this is the, the crux I have with it, it is meant to be a buffet, right? That's what school should be. School should be a buffet of subjects. It should be go in, all you can eat, study all the things you can, figure out what you enjoy within those systems and within those lessons, as well as giving you a basic education so you can exist within a society. Things like maths, English, science, basic stuff. This should also include financial advice as well. That's a whole other topic for another day, but that should be something we include in school and it's something which we don't. But those are the basics of it. And it shouldn't be that you necessarily need to remember those things, but it gives you it gives you an insight, right? It gives you a keyhole to look at the world, like science. I know how osmosis works. I know how um, photosynthesis works. But that's just basic, right? That's just basic understanding of how the world works in a natural sense, so that when I come to own a houseplant, I don't kill said houseplant. And when I come to use chemicals within my home... I'm not thinking to myself, all right, bleach is great to drink because I know bleach is bad for me because I went to lessons as well as being told not to drink bleach as a child. But I digress. The same with maths. I don't need to know algebra particularly, but I know how to do basic algebra, which is enough for me to make an Excel sheet and is enough for me me to be able to do my job. I don't need particularly to know Pythagoras' theorem, but if I was building a gate, it would probably come in handy. There's keyholes. And some people who are heavily interested in those things will find those keyholes and go, wow, that's 
It's amazing what I can do with mathematics. I'm going to go into that and do loads of things with mathematics. And they become economists and chemists and people who do those kinds of things because they have an interest in numbers. And the people who look at, you know, IT and go, oh, this is amazing. All this technology. I can do all these things. They go on and build computer systems and com- computer scientists and game developers and all these kinds of things. And the same can be said with all of these things. The problem with the school system, because I don't have a problem with the idea of it being a buffet and you need a basic knowledge and it takes time to learn that basic knowledge and it's probably about 18 years to do that you know 10,000 hours all those kinds of things my problem with it is is that that system isn't a free buffet it's not in any way shape or form education has a paywall and that's something which apparently we're just okay with as a country what do you mean by that, Graham? So recently I was having a couple of conversations, and I think I've had this conversation with everyone my age and everyone who has been through the system within the UK, where you get given options when you go to year nine, which basically means you go through school, you're given a buffet of information, here's a bunch of stuff, you know, blah, 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 and then you get to year nine, you're given some choice over the direction of your education, and you get to choose which subjects you will take. You have to take the basics, maths, English, science. You have to take the basic con- constructs of the world. Art's not included in that. That's a whole other conversation. But you get some choice of the extra things which you're learning. I think you also have to take PE as well. I think. I think that's enforced, but that's more like a health thing than anything else. Weirdly, my PE lessons never taught me anything about health. They did teach me a lot about lying, but that's one for another day. Anyway, so you get these options. But when you go to get your options you are actually not given as much choice as you are suggested to have. And I'm going to use my own personal story for this. So my personal look at options and look at the world was met with, Graham, you're not allowed to do the options which you want to do. And why was I not allowed to do the options you want to do? And that is because, not to toot my own horn, but I was in the top sets for things at school. I just was. I didn't particularly try very hard. Um, but I was in top sets for basically everything apart from mathematics because I'm just not that good at maths. That's just a default for me. Um, (laughs) But most things I was in the top set for. So when I went to choose my options and went to look at the things which I wanted to do, I said, oh, great, I'm going to go do woodworking and I'm going to do art and I'm going to, you know, use that extra time to work on these two things. Woodworking, I just found, DT, I just found extremely interesting. I thought this is going to be a great thing for me to learn. And then art is obviously... I like art, and that's something which I, I wanted to do, and it was something which I wanted to look at when I went to college. And I thought, you know, having DT in the hand would allow me better skills in art as well, because it's all about teaching logic, but it's also about teaching aesthetic and building and all these kinds of things. And at the same time, I didn't particularly want to go to uni. Um, I was planning on going to college, but I was planning on just going and doing whatever I wanted to do, because you know, why wouldn't you want to go just do whatever you wanted to do? That's just... That's just what you want when you're a teenager. But I was told I wasn't allowed to do that because I was only allowed to take one... What is the term they used? Vocational subject, I guess, is the way they described it because they didn't see DT as a skill. Um, I was only allowed one subject, which was classed as non-academic because I was capable of doing the academic subjects. Is the TL the hour of that subject? And... This was the first inclination to me that school was not set up in the correct manner. It was the first time where I'd been met to a barrier and they said, 
No, you're not allowed to do that because you can complete the academic subjects and you can complete them with a decent grade, which makes the school as an institution look good, which means we meet our targets, which means we get the funding we need, which means you're being used to push more funding into a school because if they don't meet their targets and these subjects which are deemed acceptable, then you're not useful to society. And this is the crux of school being wrong. The second instance of this I had was um, within RE as well. I'll tell you another score. So this was a little bit before, actually. Um, <laughs> this this showed me... I've always had a problem with exams. This showed me exactly how exams work when it came to school. So one of the subjects I was forced to take within my academia was RE and IT. I didn't take full courses. I had a joint course because apparently those things interweave with one another, I guess, you know, complex computer systems controlling the entire world and complex theological systems control, controlling the entire world, they figured that, you know, there's an overlap. But there was a requirement for me to take it. So I took a short course in it when I was in year 11. So I'd have been about 16 at this time. They forced us to take this course. I kept failing at religious education. Every mock exam I took was bad. And it was because I lost all respect for RE teachers in year seven, which is the first year of senior school when you attend school. I lost all respect for them because when I first handed in my assignment, we did the uh, discussion on Egyptian religion and Egyptian theology. And I'd written in my book and drawn, because of course I drew, I drew the Eye of Horus. And I wrote next to it, the Eye of Horus. And then my RE teacher corrected what I'd written and put Eye of Horse. This was a woman who was tasked with teaching me religious education and did not know the basics of Egyptian theology, despite teaching a class on Egyptian theology. So any respect I had for religious education just disappeared. And then this continued when I was forced to take further courses in it. And they came along and they said to me, hey, Graham, here's this course, which you're forced to do, in which case I didn't care about it. And I was very anti-religion at the time. So every, basically every exam I took and every mock exam I took, I just wrote an essay on why I think religion's absolute nonsense and was very angry and very angsty about it. And then when I took my final exam, my actual GCSE exam, I didn't write that. Instead, I wrote from the point of view of a strict religious devout person and how religion would solve the world and how it was ingrained with society and necessary for society and basically wrote a textbook answer which you would write if you were a Christian. I got an A. And that was my experience of religious education within the UK. So... I recognise there are problems. And I was being introduced to all of these problems. I was being introduced to what the structure of schooling is and what the structure of education is. And this is one of those... Ooh, not to the mic. This is one of those thoughts, and when I think back to it, I think this has probably informed a lot of the things I've done within my life. Yeah. It was, again, it was part of the buffet, which is education, and is part of that whole idea of you introduce these topics and themes. But... What I wanted to discuss as we kind of come to the end of this is every year I look at social media and I look at the news around this time of year when people are just going into uni and people are just coming out of college and 
they're wondering whether they should go into further education. They're wondering whether they should pick that up, whether it's worth it. And honestly, I think people approach this with the wrong mindset. So I've been asked a few times whether I'd go back into education. I had a problem with senior education. I had a problem with university education. And I, I, it soured me. It soured me on a lot of education. But in the same breath, I'm very much telling people I know around me that they should apply for these things. They should apply to do a degree course. They should apply to do a master's course. Because I'm a big proponent of educating yourself and learning things and finding things which are interesting. Whether it's going to be useful or not is redundant. But you could have it, you know, you could go off and do something. You could study something which you just find passionate in. You know, you could you can go do a short course. Why not? Go do a short course. Learn something. Have an exposure to different opinions and different thoughts and theories around you. And I think that is the key to picking your education. That is the key to having some view of how you're going to enjoy it, you know? how you're going to actually have a good experience within these systems. The systems are designed and systems are in place to feed things like stakeholders, backers, banks, institutions, the governments. They are in those places and it's up to you to make that decision of what you really want from education and what you really want. And honestly, the thing you should want from those things is just to A, enjoy yourself and B, learn something that you're passionate about. Because as soon as you go into any one of those structures with the mindset of this is what I'm going to do and it's going to lead me to this next institution or this is what is required of me, which is always a big one of, oh, I thought it was required for me to have this in order to do this, that's when you'll hate it. That's when it'll become a chore. That's when it'll ruin whatever else is going on in the world. School doesn't necessarily ruin education and education doesn't necessarily ruin school money and profiteering do and those money and profiteerings are part of a larger system so it's up to you to kind of carve your own little way into it and it, it's hard I, I understand it's hard I, a final example is this thought which i had the other day which was so i i have a huge problem with how People are educated on arts in the UK. And at the minute, we're facing a mass crisis in the sense of the government is basically cutting all funding for arts education because they don't see it profitable, which I will say that there will always be art, right? You, there will always be artists and there will always be art, even if arts education is cut off. But again, they're introducing another paywall. They're introducing you know, DLC content because only the people who are wealthy enough can study these subjects. Everyone else should be put into profiteering and they should be put into serving the society in an economic sense. Art can be profitable if you pay artists the right amount and you accept that they're an integral part of society. But that's an argument for another day. <clears throat> But one thing which is, you know, a story which stuck in my mind was I, I didn't have a great experience with art teachers, and I don't think I ever have. I think I've had one art teacher who I remember, um, shout out to Miss Warrington, who gave me the positive reinforcement and also gave me the opportunity to explore the things which I wanted to explore. My other art teachers weren't. They were very by the book, and they were very, this is what you need to do for the exam. And any, any push against that and any push against their personal opinion and personal want of art was met with sour notes, essentially. Um, and then I thought to myself, hang on a minute. I have a very distinct memory that I have never seen the artwork of my GCSE art teacher. I never saw what work they created. 
and I I had a Google online before I came on to record this podcast. I, it's just not something I've seen, and that's insane, right? That's insane. I went through a, a whole art course, studied with the same teacher back from a couple of years, for years, literally years. I think school lasts about five years. That sounds about right. And I never saw any of their artwork. That's how broken that system is. That's as broken as the RE teacher not knowing who Horus was in Egyptian theology. And that's insane. My my message, if I have one for today's podcast, is quite simply not to approach education as a a need or means to an end not to approach it as a answer key to all things because you're going to find that each in each institution is served to protect the institution not to protect the individual so when you're going into them just remember that you should get what you want from them if you want more of something go ask for that thing if you want to learn about a certain subject go learn about that thing and if they don't know about that subject go find people who do Spend the time there, fill in your boots with everything which you want to look at and everything you want to learn. And if you've never had the opportunity to go do that, consider doing that. Because it can be worthwhile. I meet older people who've never had the opportunity, and I, I completely respect people who've never had the opportunity. But if there's nothing stopping you, then why not? You know, I try to encourage my parents to do it. They're retirees. Neither of them went to university. They simply didn't have the opportunity. You know, working class, small town life. And I'd love to see them go and do some stuff. Not because they think they're going to get a job out of it, but because they're curious about it. Why not? Education requires participation from yourself. That's a very key proponent. But let me know what you think. I'll talk to you guys later.